Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the See It To Be It podcast. I am your host, Melinda Garvey, founder of On The Dot, whose mission is to lead women to success through the stories and actionable advice from relatable role models. And today, like every week, I get to bring you another fabulous, incredible role model. I'm pleased to introduce you to Pam Williams, who is an HR professional with Amazon. She is a board member for the Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals and also on the board of Women in Aviation. So as you can tell, she's kind of a badass. So let's welcome her and get going on the conversation. Welcome, Pam. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. So before we get going and start talking about what you're doing today, I like to go way back. So tell us about what do you think you want to be when you grew up? What was your big dream? So, you know, it was really interesting. Growing up, I grew up here in Memphis, which is where I live now. But I remember at a time when I was a teenager, I was about 15 or 16, and I grew up in a single parent home, but my mother had 11 brothers and sisters. So we were, you know, a very large family, very close. And I did know my father. He just was not a stable part of my family. But I remember at 16, vividly having this memory or having this conscious thought that, you know, there has to be more to what is right in front of my face. And I am going to figure that out. So to answer the question about knowing what I wanted to be when I grow up, honestly, I had no idea because I definitely had role models in high school, but I didn't necessarily have people that I saw in the industry or in business or any of that I looked up to to say, I want to be this or I want it to be that. In all frankness and honesty, when I finished high school, I was so over school that I did not want to go to college. So I went about getting a job. And at that time, FedEx, which is a very large global organization at this time, had really started to sprout wings here in the Memphis area. And to be a part of that organization was a huge feat at the time because it was very difficult to get in. But I knew that I wanted to work for them. Now, to determine what that was going to be or how that was going to be end up, I absolutely had no idea. I just wanted to get my foot in the door. So I did that in the early or the mid-80s. And from there, FedEx offered the opportunity to be able to do a multitude of things. So I set about learning the organization and all it had to offer in a lot of different spaces. And where I joined the organization, which was in operations, I decided to move to California so that I really could get my career off the ground, but also to get away from that safety net that I called my family. I could really grow up and develop into something that I want to be. So in my 20s, I have to say I lived life to the fullest. It was great. I traveled a lot. But as my 20s were winding down, I said to myself at that point, I need to really get this together because I either need to start in some direction of having a career as well as a family because I didn't have any children at the time. And I gave myself a threshold of 30. I did start college at that time. And I went on to get a undergraduate degree in business from a university in California, Woodbury University, got married, had children all within a very short amount of time. You're like goal oriented and you like made it happen. I love that. Absolutely. But you know, that was not without its challenges because the first real 
barrier, and that's what I will call it. And by the way, I absolutely love barriers. I think that they have a huge purpose in our life. They help us to figure out how to get around them, over them, under them. They are not a roadblock. They are a learning entity. And my first one came right after my husband and I had our first child. We had bought our first house. And his mom came to live with us to help out with the children. And she was there for literally a month and passed away. The week after her funeral, we found out we were having twins. So he brought two children into the relationship. So we had a blended family. But now we were going to have five children, all under the age of 10. We both worked full time outside of the home. And we had to figure out how to make this happen. And I knew that I did not want to be a stay-at-home mom. So we went about just making, really, our family a big team. Now, the original question you asked me is, what did I want to be? I still had no clue, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) Look at everything you were accomplishing, right? Now getting an idea of how you became an HR professional, because managing that many children probably gave you a little bit of leg up on that. Absolutely. So I learned absolutely very quickly how to delegate. I learned the power of teamwork. I learned coaching. I learned development, all of that through the lens of my kids. Not that they are, you know, adults by any means necessary, but I needed to teach them life skills as we were going through this journey. So by the time the kids were five, you know, they were definitely well on their way to be very independent. And I was at that point really starting to hone in on now I know what it is that I want to do. So I was in operations at the time. I was in management also because I started in management in 93. But I knew that I also wanted to lead people as well as develop, as well as help people realize what their full potential was. And in doing that or in understanding that about myself, I knew that I had to get out of operations or move from operations into HR. And I did that very shortly thereafter. I took a position in leadership education and development. And what that did for me was really put a stamp on why I do what I do, because it allowed me then to travel all around the world and help people understand how to lead people. And in leading people, you really get a sense of huge accomplishments when you see people not just transition, but transform from one stage to another stage to another stage. You help a person realize their potential and go from good to great. So in me being able to do that and travel all over the world and help people understand that was a true passion that just developed right before my eyes. So I am incredibly humbled by those experiences because I got to meet people where they were and see them in their own space and realize and understand all the cultures that the world bring together, but also develop myself in ways that I didn't know I had within me. So along the way from me getting my first degree in business, I went on then to get a master's degree in operations management, certifications in emotional intelligence, certified master coach. And fast forward to today being a part of these wonderful organizations that I can give back to to help others realize their full potential and bring 
access and awareness to these underdeserved communities, as well as women and people of color in the workplace. So I'll elaborate more as we go further, but I would say my mid-30s is when I really realized and knew what my purpose was and what I should be doing. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the buzzword in the corporate space right now, the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I would imagine when you started out in HR, it wasn't quite a buzzword and it's really become that in the last, uh, depending on how progressive the company is, right? Five, Mm -hmm. seven, 10 years at the most probably that it's really become that buzzword. You know, I'd love to just sort of, you know, talk to you about your thoughts on that movement within corporate America and sort of where are we making progress? And now visa the protests and what's happening in our country right now, what's happening inside companies? What do they need to do to really provide true equity for all diverse individuals? You know, it starts with them having a clear understanding that the programs have to be intentional. Men, white males, black males, all males need to understand that number one, Women have to have a seat at the table. And two, you're just not giving them lift service. So it has to be intentional. When you are going through your hiring process, there has to be some trajectory for that individual coming into your organization. Because when organizations spend the time to say, I am intentionally bringing on these individuals because they are going to fill some void that I have in the company, and here is how we're going to do it. There has to be a strategic plan. It has to be more than, oh, Carol's worked in finance for the last five years, and she's had a a wonderful track record. She probably would do very well over here in this operations role. We need a female and we need a minority, so let's put her in it. That's not serving the cause. Serving the cause is being intentional of how you are developing and grooming these individuals to be successful in these positions, and it starts with certainly a conversation, as well as strategic planning and actionable items that follow that. So companies have to be very intentional of how they're going to do that. It's no longer about, you know, this person has worked in this organization and we want to fill a void, but being intentional about developing the person to be successful in whatever role it is that you want them to take. And that takes years because you really have to develop those skills that they're going to need. That's right. And the connections. You're preaching to the choir on this one. I'm really passionate about this because I feel like so many companies focused just on the hiring, right? There are all these AI, there's all these platforms for hiring, which I'm not saying those aren't needed, but they don't do anything else. When I talk to diverse individuals within companies, you know, women, LBGTQ, Mm -hmm. African-American, they get in there and they're not comfortable. They can't see other role models. They can't find other people. They don't know how to advance and they end up leaving. Because there is not an intentional path for them to take. There's not a mentor program. There's not networking opportunities. Well, you may go and you may join a employee resource group that certainly is doing lots of good for the organization, but that doesn't put you on a career trajectory to do anything other than to be a part of that group. 
you do have some responsibility in it. I'm not saying that the organizations have to do it all on their own. The individual definitely has a part to play. But if there is no one that is mentoring that person, then it is a monumental hill to climb. Absolutely. I love that advice. Let's pivot a little bit and just talk about you being a woman in aviation, because not only are you a woman in aviation, which is extraordinarily rare, you certainly are a minority, but then being a black woman in aviation, I imagine adds an extra layer to that. I know that you have a real passion for this. In fact, you are a board member for the Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals and also for women in aviation. So what do you hope to do with those roles? So the the women in aviation piece, I just want to clarify that the women in aviation is a actual board and I'm not part of their board. I'm a part of the FAA advisory board to the women in aviation. Just want to make sure because women in aviation will say, wait a minute, when does she become a part of our board, right? (laughs) Well, you Um, should be. Right. But I do have great connections. They are a wonderful organization. Uh, Marcy, who works very heavily with them, she's a part of their board, is a great woman. So for women of color to be a part of these organizations, Melinda, what I say is finally we have a seat at the table. That is the biggest piece, because if we don't have a seat at the table, then people are guessing about what our needs are. People are guessing about how we're feeling. People are guessing about what they can do to support us. So with having a seat at the table, number one, it gives us a real voice. Now we can tell you from our own mouth what we need, what we want, how we're feeling, and what you can do to support us. So that's been the biggest piece. The other piece that's really been interesting through this whole Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on today is we've now become very popular. And that's a great thing, but we've always been here. So why has it taken for us to be in this point to have these questions? And certainly not from you, because you are a huge advocate for women and for diversity and things that are relevant for all of us. But I'm saying that if you look at what is happening now, we have become extraordinarily popular and everybody wants to know now. Right. What's it like and how does it feel and what do you need? We've always had these needs. We've always had these wants. We've just not had a seat at the table. So it feels incredibly great to have that seat at the table now so that we can tell you that we need inclusion. We need not only the seat at the table, but we need action. When we tell you that when we show up to an interview and there's five other people there for the same interview, we are the most likely person to not get the job. So we just want to know the same things that our male counterpart, the same things that other races have known for a long time, which is how do we make it in this same sphere as everybody else? What do we need to do differently? Because Whatever it is that we have been doing has not been working. So what is it that we need to change? And how do we need to change that? And it, quite frankly, is probably nothing, to be honest with you, because we have the same credentials. We have the same schooling. We have some of us live in the same neighborhoods. We drive the same type of cars. What more is it that we have to do other than be a real part of the succession planning or the career paths 
that are happening in these organizations. It's not you that needs to change. It's us that needs to change. I talk a lot about this. I had this friend, she's in the healthcare industry, Mm -hmm. but a real, just amazing entrepreneur sought after to be on boards, like really high level, big Mm -hmm. company boards. And she had this epiphany because she kept getting asked to be on boards and she was so flattered and women don't get asked Mm -hmm. to be on boards. She would look around and she was the only woman. Absolutely. A year would pass and two years would pass and she's still the only woman and other people would come on the board because they got their token. And so Mm -hmm. now what she does is she said, I will not join a board in my contract. It is written in my contract that within one year, they must bring on another female board member. Right. And that to me, the level of allyship, right? Mm -hmm. We always think about allies, you know, white men, but women and certainly white women need to be allies for women of color because we're going to get there first. And if we are not intentional about saying this has to happen or you don't get me either. Right. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And we as a group of women have to have that voice, but you're absolutely correct. You're probably going to get there before I do, but you have to be willing and it has to be demanded that This is what I want. I want additional women and I want minority women. You know, we can get additional women all day, every day, because there's a slew of them available. But are you being intentional about bringing on minority women? Because they have just as much to offer and they're going to give you a very different perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. Thank you. And thank you for sharing. I really appreciate that. And I want to kind of hone in on your, I love that you are trained in emotional intelligence and that you do a lot of training on that because I also believe that when I look at, I won't say names, but some of our leadership, I feel like that's exactly what's missing. It's emotional intelligence. It's like the missing link. And so I would love for you just to kind of talk about just your training in in emotional intelligence, but also kind of how it relates to what's going on today and how emotional intelligence could really help solve so many of these things. Absolutely. So I started in the emotional intelligence space when I was doing the leadership education and development. When I started in that space, we did a lot of training for our frontline managers on understanding, you know, pieces of emotional intelligence are paramount and required for you to be successful. Because if you don't understand self and you don't understand how your emotions really drive what you do and how you do it, success takes that much longer for you to get, so to speak. So I did a lot of training around this. I work with an organization called sixseconds.org. It's a nonprofit organization that actually started out with children and wanted to expand more into the corporate sector. And they have three dimensions to their emotional intelligence teaching. It's know yourself, choosing yourself, and giving yourself. And the know yourself piece really is all about self-reflection and understanding those repeated patterns of behavior that drives things that we do. And it really causes us to pay attention because we all have something called unconscious competence where we can do things without thinking about them. You've had many days where you've driven home from work and got into your driveway or in front of your house and said, oh God, I don't even remember leaving the office, right? (laughs) 
happens to me more often than not, which is a little scary. <laughs> Absolutely, because intuitive, your brain can tell you where to go without you having to think about it, really, right? right. But if you have to stop by the market to grab some milk and bread, or if you have to stop by the cleaners, then you have to pay attention because you're on autopilot when you're on your way home. But when you're driving down the street, rather than turning right, you need to turn left to go to the cleaners. You've got to think about that. So conscious competence causes us to pay attention to what we're doing. And those repeated patterns of behavior then becomes less and less because it tells us, hey, stop and think about this. Remember, you didn't want to do this again because we've had those opportunities where we said, dang, I didn't want to do that again. And I did it, right? right. Conscious competence makes us pay attention. The reflective piece really allows us to think about our interactions, think about our behaviors, and think about what is it that I am going to intentionally do differently. So taking six seconds before you make a decision, it will alter the outcome, Mm -hmm. especially if that outcome is not a favorable one. So that's the know yourself piece. The choose yourself piece is all about being intentional with your decisions because you've taken those six seconds to think about the outcomes of what could potentially happen. So when you think about if every couple has this conversation at least three days a week, what's for dinner? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. And it goes back and forth and back and forth, right? Yeah. All the time, right? (laughs) rather than one individual saying, I want Chinese, and the other person saying, well, no, I don't want Chinese. I'd rather have burgers. That's being intentional. It's not about this loose, up in the air, you know, flighty kind of thing. It's about, okay, I know that my husband loves to eat red meat at least once a week. So on Wednesday, I'm going to say, honey, how about we stop at Longhorn on the way home and we can share a steak? rather than a back and forth, right? So you're being intentional about decisions. But it gets, of course, much deeper than that because you are thinking about, I need to have this difficult conversation with my sister. And I remember the last time that we had a conversation, it didn't go so well. So now I need to think through how I'm going to approach this and be very assured of what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and being intentional. So the intentionality that comes with the emotional intelligence piece is something called consequential thinking. If you think about what the potential consequences can be on the other side, then you're intentional about the approach. So that's the choose yourself piece. It has a couple of other pieces with it. One is navigating emotions that I absolutely love, that people do this all the time without realizing that they do it. So hypothetical situation, you are coming home and you are driving through your neighborhood and you hear sirens and you see a bunch of smoke and you turn the corner and your house is on fire. What is your first instinct? I hope no one's hurt. I need to call the insurance company. I need to make sure that all the neighbors are safe, right? It's not stop the car and get out and break out in tears and just end up in the street in a puddle of mess, right? Right. No, it's not, (laughs) right? It's your rational brain takes over. However, when everything is settled down and you know your family's safe, you've contacted the insurance company and you're at the hotel and everybody is okay, then you have a crying fit. I've lost my house. I love that place, right? right? That's navigating emotions. 
you know that in this moment, I need to be rational. It's like death. <laughs> we can't cheat it, right? And sometimes when it happens, it's unexpected. And yes, you're going to have a moment, but you're going to pull yourself together and think about what are the things that I need to do. So we do that instinctively. But emotional intelligence let us understand what is happening at that moment and be intentional about how we're going to move forward. Because emotions, we've got to have them. You need to experience a variety of emotions to understand how to deal with them. The last piece of it, though, is the giving yourself. And that one tends to be very difficult for people because it is understanding what your true purpose is. There is many people that will go through life and not know what their true purpose truly is. And for you to understand that, just ask yourself these two questions. If money and time were of no object, what would I be doing? That's great advice, actually, for people to do have that exercise. Absolutely. So the emotional intelligence piece really is what keeps me going. I have to be honest with you about that, Melinda. Being a Black woman, being here in the South, working for a very large organization, there were many opportunities where that emotional intelligence saved me from making huge mistakes. Yeah, I can see that. Sounds like all of us need this training, like kind of everybody in the whole wide world. (laughs) Yes. Imagine what the world would be like if we all had that. It is so simple. It does not require that you go out and spend millions of dollars on doing it. It really just requires you paying attention and taking those six seconds and thinking about what are my actions going to be? Because the one thing that is true for all of us, behavior never lies. Very true. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for that. And just as a closing, I would love for you just to share kind of a go-to piece of advice that you either have been given over the years or that you like to give? What's that piece of advice? Absolutely. So my favorite quote is, don't let anybody steal your joy. Don't let anyone steal your joy because there's joy robbers all around us. Oh my God, you turn the TV on. It's a Debbie Downer. You have those friends that after you talk to them, you're drained. I do not allow people to rob me of feeling great. Because honestly, feeling good and having a great personality is a choice. You get to decide every morning when you get up, this is going to be a wonderful day. I don't care if it's 30 below zero or if it's pouring down raining, this is going to be a wonderful day and you get to choose to feel great. Now, absolutely, there is a level of optimism we all have and there's a level of narcissism that we all have, right? But you really get to choose that. So I always choose to be happy even in the most dire of situations because there's always something good that comes out of every situation, no matter how bad it is. may take you years to see, but there was something great there. The other piece of advice that really keeps me going is not to be limited by what is right in front of my face. I absolutely love change. You did say you loved hurdles. (laughs) I love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. That's one of my strengths is being relatable in learning because we can all learn something from just about everything, right? And if we close our mind to 
understanding things or understanding someone else's perspective, then we close ourselves to really some of the goodness that really we have been afforded. So I don't limit myself by what is right in front of my face. And we have the power to change things when they are not what we want them to be. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pam. You are an inspiration. You're doing so many amazing things. We will certainly be watching you because I have a feeling there is a lot more to come. I absolutely have a lot more to give. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad we connected. And again, thank you for being on the show and for sharing so openly. It's truly appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.